You're listening to The Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Each Tuesday, I'll bring you a new episode, but if you're craving more preppy, then shop the merch at thepreppypodcast.com and follow at The Preppy Podcast on social media. thrilled to be interviewing Deb Waterman-Johns of Scalp Bags in today's episode. We walk through her careers in fashion and the journey that led her to creating a bag for the everyday woman. But before we dive into that interview, I want to share with you Nicole Speak Designs. I've worked with her for all of my branding, including my logos for this podcast and my peak to PR business. I've known her for years and I've sent many clients and friends her way as I truly believe in her business. I actually even featured her a few podcast episodes ago. So definitely go back and check that out. Nicole offers brand design services for small businesses, from logo and brand marks to custom patterns and social media templates. She creates cohesive and beautiful branding with a preppy twist. Her full brand build includes everything you need to get started, even print files for your business, like business cards and stationery. And many of her logos include monograms. Not only did Nicole create my branding for all of my businesses, but she also helped me develop brand merch, which I sell to you guys for this podcast. Truly, the sky's the limit with what you can do with Nicole and her designs. Visit Nicole Speak, that's Nicole, S-P-E-A-K-E dot com for contact information and check out her design gallery. She's also on Instagram at Nicole Speak Design. All right. So why don't you tell everyone who you are, where you live and what you do? Well, my name is Deb Waterman Johns and I live in Georgetown in Washington, D.C. And I own and run a company with my husband uh, called ScoutBags.com. And we are a company that really looks at the modern woman and says, what does she need to navigate her multitasking, multifaceted, wild and crazy or serene lifestyle, whatever it looks like. I love that. And I've actually had one of your backpacks for years. It's my favorite travel bag. So I'm so happy that I get to talk with you and learn more about you and your company. Awesome. So I guess my next question is, um, what was growing up like for you? Were you always creative or did you always have an interest in entrepreneurship or fashion? Were you designing clothes for your dolls or, you know, selling lemonade? What, what sort of was that like growing up? Well, I lived all over the country as a kid. We moved oh. a lot because of my father's job and it made it kind of interesting because I lived on both coasts. I lived in the Midwest and I was always sort of paying attention to what was new and different so that I could get to know my new environment. And I was always drawing and I would always draw fashion. That was my thing. Mm -hmm. And in public school in those days, you had to take home economics, which just sounds like lingo we haven't heard in a very long time. But as (laughs) as part of that, we were required to learn how to sew. And so in seventh grade, I realized that I could draw something in fashion and actually wear it within a matter of like hours. Yeah. And so that opened a 
giant sort of portal for me to look at fabrics and colors and textures. I was making all of my own clothes pretty much through high school, through college, and creating looks that, number one, no one else had, Mm -hmm. and number two, were really designer fashions. And I would show up in high school in like Betsy Johnson, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Pierre Cardin, you know, like whatever I thought was sort of fun. And it really was a wonderful way for me to experience the beginnings of what would become my fashion career. So cool. I love that. And I mean, first of all, it takes some talent to be able to sew. I actually um, have a degree in fashion merchandising and communications, but the fashion merchandising degree, we had to learn how to sew. And I actually had home ec too in lower (laughs) school. And it is hard. I was never good at sewing and flat pattern and things like that. So that's impressive that from a young age, you enjoyed that and you had this talent and skill then. Well, and you know, I was very fortunate to land in Pittsburgh when I was in fourth grade. And there was a program with Carnegie Mellon where two fifth graders from every public school were elected to go based on artistic ability to the most amazing art classes that were every Saturday morning for three hours. There was discipline, there was sketching, there was sort of innovation. And the gentleman that taught the class taught the class to 600 kids at once. And he was the most animated, dynamic guy. And he held the attention of a room full of fifth to seventh graders. And and he he was Warhol's teacher. Warhol took those classes uh, because Warhol's from Pittsburgh. So what was really exciting about that was you got to understand not only art, but Mm -hmm. the discipline of art. You Mm -hmm. got to understand that you could make a living doing this. And so the artistic mixed with the sewing and the fashion really paved the way for me to move in that direction and just know in my gut that that is exactly where I wanted to be, which is very exciting to know at a young age. Exactly. And I mean, it's great that your parents said, you know, took you to these classes or found these classes and kind of nurtured that to that um, and supported your dreams, it sounds like. With oh, completely. And, and you know, I am one of three. I'm the middle child. I'm a classic middle child <laughs> uh, I, for whatever that means. Um, but my, my older sister um, is amazing, but she was always doing things exactly the way you're supposed to do them. Uh-huh. I, on the, I, on the other hand, would find the, lo- the road less traveled. <laughs> um, and my father... I have a younger brother, but my father always looked at me and my mother as just human, not male or female. Mm -hmm. And so I was also someone who did a lot of sports growing up. And I tried out for every team. If I didn't make that one, I'd move on to the next. And that also teaches you discipline. Mm -hmm. It teaches you teammanship, which when you start to run your own business, you need to really know about what being on a team really feels like. Uh, both from the leadership side as well as the membership side. So all of those early influences, I don't think can be stressed enough. And as we navigate the world, look at our own children and sort of these future generations, um, it's important that we look at the youth and say, what can we do to foster that path? Mm -hmm. What can we do as adults that have been there? 
Yep. I love all of that. So now, did you end up going to college? And then if so, did you pursue something that related to art or fashion? Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I went to Cornell University and Cornell, I wanted to do an Ivy League school because uh, a lot of my family had gone to Ivy Leagues. And I just looked at that as kind of the, for me, the pinnacle of academic, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it just elevated potentially for me coming out of a big suburban Pennsylvania school, a little bit more, it got you on a track. It got you focused. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Cornell has a program, a bachelor of science in textiles and design. And so I knew that I would also be getting a lot of the literary background. I would be getting a very dynamically diverse education, which is what I wanted. And also part of that program, uh, which went from flat patterning to learning about the chemical uh, parts of textiles and had a, had a program in New York City our junior year where we worked for a company and I worked for McCall's Patterns and we were interns for the full semester and earned full credit toward our degree, but also were exposed to business, were exposed to contacts. And yep. You know, Cornell is four hours from Manhattan. So if you want to be in that world of fashion, you're not just around the corner the way FIT or Parsons or Pratt or any of those other really wonderfully design-focused schools are. I think Rhode Island School of Design and Cornell were unique in that they were not right there in Manhattan. So having that program was an incredible opportunity to meet people who could help me carve out that route that I was looking for in the Mm -hmm. world of fashion. Definitely. Wow. That sounds like a great experience. And it sounds like you found your passion so early and you were able to hone in on that throughout the time, which is so nice. I feel like so many people don't necessarily know what they're into or what they're talented at or you know, what they really enjoy. So it's great that you were able to to find that. And I'm sure, you know, it's had ups and downs throughout the year, which we'll talk throughout the years, which we'll talk about a little bit more later, but that's, that's amazing. So what was your first career after you got your degree then at Cornell? What did you go on and do first? Did you work with another designer or? No, I actually had the opportunity when I was doing my final presentation mm-hmm. uh, during that semester, we all had mentors who okay. worked us through our various spots. And one of my friend's mentors after my presentation just kind of came right up to me and said, what do you want to do when you graduate? And, and we were juniors, so we had a mm-hmm. full year of education after that semester. And I said, well, you know, I honestly really fell in love with the magazines that mm-hmm. I was exposed to during the time that I was at McCall's when we did our PR and that type of, of week or two at McCall's. And she said, well, how about Vogue? Huh? And I said, I was like looking over my shoulder, like, is this a joke? <laughs> and she was this beautifully dressed, very pulled together, sort of silver fox. She was this mm-hmm. kind of just gorgeous woman. And I said, well, what about Vogue? And she said, well, my best friend works at Vogue. You want to meet her? That was how it went. I promise. Oh my gosh. And so I went over and met uh, Susan, who was the uh, copy editor at Vogue, uh-huh. who was awesome. And she said, listen, I can't get you in here, but I can introduce you to the people who can. And okay. she said, 
I will introduce you to various editors. And one of those editors really saw me as being someone who could be valuable in the equation of her department. And she was the fabrics and trend editor. And for 18 months during my final summer before I graduated and my final year at Cornell, I interviewed at Vogue probably four times and uh, got the job as an assistant editor right out oh of college, gosh, which that's was amazing. That's so, a dream. <laughs> yeah. And, but, and we can never underestimate how incredible it is to meet people yeah. who see something in you and offer that platform to say, why don't you try this? Mm-hmm. Why don't you see if this works? And I will forever be grateful to those women who said, let me take a chance on you and let's see if this works out. And it did. Definitely. So how long were you at Vogue? Did you stay there or did you go to other publications? Um, What was kind of your your journey in the magazine world? Well, I loved magazines, but more than that, I loved the fabric, the color and the designers. And my Mm -hmm. boss, you know, Vogue, I was there in the 70s and early 80s for a number of years. It was absolutely the most incredible time to be in the world of fashion. Definitely. You the know, glamour back then. Uh, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, there was no cost was too high and mm-hmm. no photo shoot was too extravagant. And they were sending 15 editors to Paris to cover the collections. And, oh my gosh. you know, it, and, and we were all going to studio 54 and, and all the clubs at night because we would get in because we worked at Vogue, which was yeah. really fun. <laughs> um, so at the end of the day, my boss, who I love dearly, she's still a very good friend of mine and said, listen, I am not going anywhere. And the only place you can go in this department is to take the position that I have. And she said, uh-huh. so my recommendation would be to go out into the world of fashion. And if you feel like coming back into the world of publications, do so. But she said, you might find there's another track that you like even more. So as much as I didn't want to leave Vogue because it was an incredible and unique Devil Wears Prada moment, (laughs) Um, I really fell in love with trend forecasting, which Mm. is, in those days, was really all about groups that were very internationally based, would bring together color, fabric, design, silhouette, sort of, I say, ideas and focuses Uh that would help customers who were manufacturers or stores navigate the world of fashion that was busting wide open. Because remember, you know, European fashion didn't come to this country until the mid seventies and Asian fashion came shortly after, but we were not a globally diverse fashion world until late seventies, early eighties. So Mm -hmm. I was in it when people were trying to navigate making their goods overseas. They were trying to navigate shipping and fabric and all of that wild stuff that are the components of a successful fashion brand. So the trend forecasting services, which are still in existence, but in those days there was no internet. There was no ability to share ideas that way. So people, I mean, I would go to a photographer's studio in Paris and select on a light box the images from the shoots, I mean, from the shows that we could use as our trending. So there was no other way to do it then. Uh So, So the trend services made a huge difference in helping companies who wanted to grow, who wanted to become more globally aware and effective 
navigate that. I think we had 1,200 international clients wow. that we worked with. It was fascinating. And I'm sure you got to travel a ton for it then and see all these great places and meet all these wonderful people. Yeah, I started doing um, my travels to Frankfurt, uh, Milan, Paris, and London, because that's generally where the large textile shows were, mm -hmm. as well as the collections. And those were the gateway to really understanding how we are very much alike across the globe and how we are also vastly different. Yep. And how do you bring all of those amazing energies together to create product that is meaningful for your audience? So it was a huge education. And I think when I counted uh, how many trips, I go semi-annually to those European cities um, and I've counted that I've lived almost a full year in Paris and in London Oh wow! because of how much I've traveled to those cities over the years. Oh my gosh. That sounds like a dream job. I mean, first Vogue and then this job. And so what brings us to Scout? Like, how did you come up with the idea for that? Or was there something in between then these two jobs now? Talk us through that in the journey then. Well, you know, I think what really is, is at the end of the day, made this uh, happen was that I met my husband who was running a small manufacturing business uh, it, down in Virginia uh, near the Homestead Resort. So about four hours away from oh, DC, yeah. but he yep. was from DC. And so uh, he, we met in New York and it was very clear that one of us was going to have to make a move. And he had a much higher stake at that point because he had bought a business um, that he was growing. Um, and could not move it. And I said, well, you know what? I don't want to leave New York. It was never my intention to leave New York, but mm -hmm. I loved the idea that Washington is a very global city. It's a very, um, it's a city with causes. And that's my other love is really mm -hmm. giving back. Okay. So, so I was compelled to move to DC um, and continue to work in the world of fashion uh, to consult to a lot of the companies that I had met through the trend forecasting service that wanted me to do more special projects. Okay. So things that we weren't doing at the service, these were things that were sort of above and beyond. So for a long period of time, uh, I was able to really move in that direction. And But as, you know, the world shifts and changes, and as companies were bought out, as management changed, as things were phased out, I found that that was less and less doable. The other little factor is that I had four children in six years oh, wow. and, and my husband lived uh, with us only on the weekends because he was running a business four hours away. So my ability to be in New York daily was simply not there. And again, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have a lot of that support that we have now to be able to work virtually and mm -hmm. create that relationship virtually. So I kept a place in New York. I went up about once a month, um, but it still was, was not going to be a plan that would have longevity. So I had a very good friend in the world of exercise, Denise Austin, who is an incredible human being. She still is an incredible incredibly important person in that world of health and fitness. And she started getting a lot of requests to be on television. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't have anything to wear. I, I live in my leotards, my workout stuff. Yeah. So I started buying clothing for her. And then I started 
buying clothing for other people. And I started working into the world of closet editing and wardrobe editing. Mm -hmm. And I created a business called Get Dressed, which is still going with some, I have a very small handful of important women that I still work with. Uh, but that kept me in that great world of fashion. Yeah. I established, you know, I established relationships with Saks Fifth Avenue here and some other wonderful, uh, smaller boutiques. And I was able to sort of transfer that fashion knowledge into individual successes, which I found really satisfying to see women who were at critical junctures in their careers or maybe in their lives, maybe they lost weight or they were, they just had a baby and they wanted to refocus on how do I feel great and what can we do? And my, my youngest ever client was 11 uh, because there was a lot of, of, of sort of esteem issues going on with this young lady mm -hmm. and we were able to help her feel potent in her own skin. And fashion is a small part of that, but it is a part of that. And yeah. my oldest uh, client was in her 80s. So I, I think I've learned to really understand women and work with women and what do they need and who are they. And then one day I, I used to sit on some international color boards and I was over in Milan and I spied a bag in a very high-end designer store with that very familiar plaid, almost a plastic plaid that you see sort of at, at flea markets and at vegetable markets where people are loading a lot of stuff into big bags. Mm -hmm. And I had found those bags also in New York at Pearl River Mart, um, a very well-known um, sort of a commodities store um, of goods from all over Asia. So I bought the bag at Pearl River Mart for $3.25. And then I bought the bag in this designer store for $450. Oh and they were gosh. made and they were made out of the same material. Yeah. And so uh, I also was doing pop-up stores. I still do that three times a year called Fifi with a great French partner uh, where we would bring in goods that we thought were fabulous to show the Washington market. Um, and so we sold those $3.25 bags for $20 and they were gone in like hours because women needed commodity bags. They needed mm -hmm. bags that would hold a lot. We were all in the thick of raising children and working and navigating our crazy lives. And my husband said, well, you know, I can find a source for that fabric in China if yeah. we want to do something with this. So that's a very long tale about how we got to why not? Why not take the high and low end of the market, meet in the middle, because we know that that's a lot of where trend comes from. All right. So you recognize then this demand and interest in these handbags. Um, and maybe it wasn't even something that once someone saw it, then they realized they needed it, but they might not have known it before. Um, just because they were durable and they could hold a lot. So then what was the next step to making this a business then really, like focusing on these handbags? What, what was the process like in that? Well, my husband had been in the gift industry for many years and I'd been in the fashion world. So he had built a couple of businesses and he kind of knew how to navigate from sort of an idea phase to seeing if our idea had any traction 
okay. and then building it from there. So we were able to uh, create a very small line, mostly of like a tote bag at various sizes. And instead of using that plaid, we said, well, let's just do a simple check, uh, a lar- like a macro check in color and white. And we'll do it in about five or six colors in four or five styles. And let's take it to the New York gift show and to the Atlanta gift show. Yeah. And seriously, it was hilarious because we had like these four or five styles and all these different colors. We had no real plan about what, what we we're going to make our booth look like or whatever, but we created this kind of crazy environment that was sort of almost cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And so it got a lot of attention. And we knew we had to be a little outrageous in order for people to remember us and think, oh, wait, there was that fun brand because we didn't have a lot of product to back it up. Um, but we had a portal with China. We knew we could have these made. We knew we okay. could have them made at a reasonable price because part of what was really important to us was we wanted to offer our product at a really, really good value. We didn't want to like undercut it, but we didn't want to sell it at a designer price. We really wanted it to be looked at as an everyday asset. So if you had that big, what our, for one of our first bags was called a Dino. It was named after one of our amazing guys that worked with us in the very beginning. And it's a big open tote bag. There's nothing, you put a small child in it, like it holds everything. (laughs) And so we knew if we could focus on some of these really easy to live with bags that folded down, weighed nothing, were not a huge investment for people, that there was a market that we felt would really, really be excited about Mm -hmm. this offerable. And so from the shows, we got great feedback, we got customers, and we said, all right, let's see what we can do next. And we found out that we could create beautiful print and pattern, and then have that applied to the white version of that material. So Mm -hmm. we started to be able to have less of that linear look, but more of like the sort of pretty pattern that would change seasonally. And then Mm -hmm. we realized if we wanted to do other shapes, we would need additional fabrics. We tried a coated cotton, which is still in the line. We do velvets. We do fabrics that are great for coolers or backpacks. So as we started to gain momentum and people started to offer feedback, we started to develop into those other buckets Mm -hmm. in the world of primarily for women or women and families, bags that could make your everyday life more fun, but also highly functional. Okay. So you were selling your bags then to boutiques from going to New York and Atlanta market. Right. And then did you have a website of your own at this point or a store of your own, or you were just relying then on, you know, boutiques buying and then selling the product? Well, we were sort of emerging as the internet was emerging. And so our very earliest days, I would say were primarily in-person catalog driven, show driven when we were really a wholesale model as the years have, have evolved. And we started to see that the internet was becoming a really important force in the world of selling, in the world of visibility, mm-hmm. we started to balance our wholesale offerables, which we still are very, very involved with, um, and balance that with an e-com site that would also feature our product direct okay. to consumer, but also 
we now are obviously offering that same platform where a wholesaler can see exactly what they need, particularly in a time of COVID when the shows are less navigatable. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's a word that could be an SAT word. I don't know, <laughs> but um, it's much more difficult for people to be there in person. We know that the internet is invaluable. So we're very glad that we were in early on the yeah. internet ballots. Um, and now the internet between our own site, scoutbags.com mm-hmm. and Amazon and Zulily is another very big uh, user of our product on their site that we are more heavily in e-com than we are in wholesale, but wholesale is still critically important because we know that small boutiques offer great curation, great mixing of product, personality behind a brand. And we really love that our best retailers are all in with Scout. So that's exciting for us too. Definitely. And I mean, I think they're a great way, uh, a great form of marketing as well, which I want to talk a little bit about that. So how did you spread the word when you first start, started? And even now today, how are you spreading the word? Like what, what have been some of your great marketing tools or um, assets in that sense? Well, when we first started, it was sort of, we, we got lucky. We did sort of what we call guerrilla PR. We would like mm-hmm. literally pack up boxes of product and send them to magazines and be like, hi, here we are, you know? <laughs> and it was like, you know, us all packing the boxes, you know, small businesses, you pretty much do it all. And we got some hits early. We got like New York Magazine. We got, I remember we got um, Oprah fairly early. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, people are starting to pay attention. That was very exciting. We also used a lot of very important rep groups that got our product out on the road. So in between shows, and we also know that small boutiques, often they are, they have lean and mean staff. And so they can't be out on the road searching for the next Mm -hmm. product. They need it to come to them. And so in many ways, those rep groups, particularly in the early days, were so important, uh, still are in certain parts of the country. But because of the internet, we have found the balance between those very strong rep groups and the internet are kind of where we are finding that messaging is most important. And, you know, we we were also doing in-store shows. We would do, you know, collaborations with a great store and say, hey, we'll show up, we'll do a giveaway, we'll have like a fun, you know, evening and really make our product come to life, which was in the early days so important Mm -hmm. because women needed to see, well, why this bag and not this bag? You know, why your bag? And there was this storytelling behind it. and also uh, an identifying, you know, a woman to woman saying, I identify with your life and I support your life and here's how I support it. So I think that's also part of the really fun equation. Definitely. Now, what have been some of your greatest challenges in owning your business? What are some hurdles that you've had to overcome and maybe how did you do so? Well, I think working with China has been an incredibly important thing. We are fortunate to work with small family-owned factories. We have wonderful personal relationships with them. And so we're very lucky in that way. But there is still difference in the way that we see the world and someone in a different cultural sort of environment sees the world. So sometimes misunderstandings, sometimes um, manufacturing that would not be as as clean as we hoped it would be. We had one year where they were trying a new process on laminating our film to our base Mm -hmm. and 
50% of our line was delaminating as oh, it was no. being made. So we pivoted and said, well, let, what about the other 50%? Let's use that to the best of our ability. There's always ways. And I was told by a very wise person once who's a very successful entrepreneur, he said, you don't just need a plan B, you need a plan C. Make mm -hmm. sure there are two escape hatches and there are two other routes that you can go. And really it is turning lemons into lemonade because there's always something that you can do. I, I, so cultural differences are sometimes challenging, mm -hmm. but over the years we have such wonderful support from our Chinese partners that we are very, very lucky in that respect. It's a very personal, uh, very uh, dynamic relationship. I would also say finding the right people. You know, your team is so important because everybody that works for you is a voice for Scout. Everybody that works for us is important to us because in a small, again, a small business, you are relying on that person to not only do their job, but also if someone else can't do something that day, okay, I'll do it, you know? Yeah. And so you've got that attitude of everybody wants this growth. People are inspired to work in smaller environments who like the excitement of kind of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And we are getting better and better at understanding who is our customer? What does she want from us? We are using a lot of support groups on the outside that bring great information to the inside. We're doing more internally to reach back out to that customer base and grow that customer base and understand who is she? What does she do every day? What does she read? Where does she shop? And we're so lucky to be in an era where that sort of messaging and that sort of information is available because in the beginning, none of that was, we were just guessing, we were guessing, <laughs> okay, she probably looks like us, you know, she's got kids, she's got, you know, and she, she leads a, a, a crazy lifestyle that most women, uh, you know, lead in this country, old, young, you know, race, age, creed, didn't matter. What mattered is that we all are in this together. And if we have a product that makes that day more fun and more functional, then we're all in. Yeah. Okay. So on the flip side to that, then what's something you're most proud of with your business or something that was really cool, a great success or a cool experience that you got to have? Well, I would say, you know, it's, it's, you can look at it very differently. One of the most important things is that people actually look forward to what we're going to offer in the next season, in the next yeah. year. To have people actually, I had a woman come over to our car. We were leaving um, Nantucket one summer and our car has a Scout license plate. Oh. And she saw all of the probably hundreds of Scout bags in the back. <laughs> um, and she came over, my husband had gone in to pay for the gas or whatever. She came over to his side and the door was open and she said, excuse me, but are you scout bags? And I said, yes, we are. It's nice to meet you. And she literally started to shake. And she said, oh, oh my gosh, wait, what? I can't believe this is happening. I, I, I'm so sorry, but I have to go call my girlfriend right now. We both love scout. That to me was like gold. That yeah. was exactly. And, but then you look at sort of the other wonderful things like um, I was recently on the Today Show in the She Made It segment. And to have an internationally, nationally um, ranked, wonderful news program talk about your business 
because it's a balanced business. It, it not only makes product for women, but it also gives back. And I think that that's a very important component about what we do at Scout and mm-hmm. how we see the world as being, um, if you can give, you need to do what you can. So every year we try to get better and better at how are we going to do that? How are we going to embrace those who are underserved as well as our wonderful customer base who can afford to buy our bags and our accessories? Um, so, you know, you have those very personal moments and then you have those wonderfully visible moments. Like when Oprah picks your bag for one of her yeah. lists, you're like, yes, oh my <laughs> God, like, woohoo, we've made it. And, and it does affect the business and it does make an immediate impact on whatever they pick, that's going to be a popular bag for a while on our website. So, but those personal connections are also critically important. And I will also say we do a program of of bags for shelters, local shelters. We're Mm -hmm. very much about grassroots. And I looked out my window one day and saw an older woman who was navigating her cart of of her personal belongings and she had one of our bags over her shoulder so that's you know that's meaningful in a very different way um so all of those things add up to the fact that we know we're on a good path yeah i mean i think those are all so wonderful i i love that story about when you saw the homeless woman with your bag because when we started the interview you said that you designed these bags so that women who have all these things to carry can carry them with them. And in that same sense, you know, everything that bag probably means the world to her. So quite literally. So I think that that's a almost full circle moment. And it's so great that you give back in that sense. Thank you. So now speaking of customers, if you could have anyone carry your bags, like your dream celebrity, or maybe an icon who's no longer with us or a royal, like who would you pick? Well, first of all, we did have a piece of press, and I can't remember if it was Wall Street Journal, who it was, but it was a wonderful article about our bags, and they called us the Jennifer Aniston of tote bags. Well, I think Jennifer Aniston is not only hilarious, she is in great shape, she sort of exudes modern, hardworking essence of a woman. Mm -hmm. So I loved that that was a thing um, and we still love it. You know, I would say, I mean, I am enamored with Queen Elizabeth because I think she is absolutely, I would make a bag for her in every color of the rainbow to match her fabulous rainbow fashions. I mean, she is iconically fabulous, you know, and I, and I do think, but then I also think of people who were real mavericks, like, like someone like Amy Winehouse, Mm -hmm. who, took chances with her life that a lot of people do not. And unfortunately she paid for them, but she in her moment shone so brightly as do many young dynamic stars who are talented, who are often misunderstood. Someone like that, if she were to pick up, you know, one of our bags, I would just be like, okay, that is the essence of cool. So, you know, I, I think that I wear all black every day or the only pattern I wear is camo. Um, I am, I, I learned that at Vogue that to go very simple monochromatic is sort of the way. And in, in the summer I'll wear some white, but I do love when people who are unexpectedly gravitating toward our product 
authentically go, well, that's my choice. That's mm-hmm. what I want to use. And we've had, you know, you know, Kylie Jenner sightings, Brooke Shields, people like that, which is really fun. It's really fun. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we are really about going to that customer who comes to us every year or she just discovered us and wants more from us because whether you're famous or infamous, whether you're, you know, just basically leading what we call sort of a normal life, mm-hmm. that there is no average life because everybody is special, but that sort of more normal lifestyle, you have stuff and you have to put it in something and you're moving yeah. around and you're going places. So, you know, as far as I can see, we really are able to cut through those slices of, you know, all kinds of women of all mm-hmm. ages, all backgrounds and all needs. Mm-hmm. Now, this question's going to be a hard one, probably, but which is your favorite bag or pattern on your website? I know that this is probably like picking your child, but right now, even, what's your favorite one? I'm sure it might change. So, <laughs> well, there's, well, there, there's a pattern on our website right now that is called Serene Dion. Now, we name our patterns after funny slogans after famous people and we twist them and turn them till they become our own and it is a pattern that looks like the surface of the water i think that that pattern has single-handedly made people feel looking at it like there is something healthy and hopeful coming Mm -hmm. um when when they look at that pattern they see oh they're almost transported that type of pattern I find, but it's also very textural. It's a mix of blues that are very positive blues. They really feel like wellness and good health. And I think in January, February, that's what we're kind of moving toward, moving mm-hmm. more towards sun and water and the elements. But we also have pattern on our website that we're calling our signatures that are our very best stripes, our very best checks that you don't get tired of that easily. So like for instance, Fleetwood Black, is a black and white simple stripe that never goes out of style. Yeah. I never get tired of looking at it because it always works. And not only does it always work for someone like me, but it works for a man. It works for a family. It and it work. It doesn't. It's not really age specific. Okay. So and it's not really seasonally specific. So there are patterns on our site that kind of live on as what we're calling signature. Mm-hmm. And then there's that really fun new stuff which like. I design and I have two artists that translate my vision, which is so much fun. And Serene Dion is like, I could literally like cover a couch in that. Like that (laughs) is really, and I know, and honestly, I was told that years ago, someone who is in the world of home furnishing said, look, here's how you know a good pattern. If you're willing to put it on a sofa and live with it, because you don't change that sofa cover that often, then it's a good pattern. So anyway. That's so funny. That's a good, a good point. Yeah. So I always ask this question to everyone on the podcast, but what does preppy mean to you? This is the preppy podcast. So how do you describe preppy? Well, I think preppy is in so much of what we are because their preppy can mean, I mean, I was in the era of Lisa Birnbach writing the preppy handbook. Like I was in New York when that came out and I was living in monogram sweaters and reversible skirts with like ducks on them and things. I was uber Kelly green, pink, 
that is one part of preppy. Yeah. It's that sort of almost overstated version of preppy. To me, what preppy means is there is a classic undertone. There is a, a feeling of timelessness that is always right. So I look at preppy as meaning that if you kind of know that certain things always work and you in your own skin and with your own attitude convey that same attitude, you're good. Like yep. you're good. And I, as I said to you before, in my early days, I really didn't worry about what anybody else thought. Mm-hmm. It's kind of protected me from having to gauge myself against anybody else because yeah. we are who we are. We do the best we can, all of us. And I have landed on a formula that works for me and it may not work for the next guy. And I remember one of my clients in her closet, she said, well, you're not going to make me look like you, are you? And I said, <laughs> heaven no. But what I do realize when I do closet work, when I do the development of Scout, when I work with women on what they're looking for in their style equation. What lasts in a closet is fashion that doesn't time out. Mm -hmm. What lasts in the closet is fashion that we put on and we instantly lower our shoulders and we just go, okay, I'm home. And I think preppy means a certain level of knowing that there is a timelessness in the equation that is style mm-hmm. in our world. And again, there is that overt side that's pink and green, but that to me is not the essence of what preppy is. Yeah. Um, and so that I would say is, is how I like to view that word. I think that's a great answer. So what is maybe a sneak peek or something on the horizon for you and Scout that you can share with us maybe a new print people can look forward to later in spring or summer or a new style or I don't know any any sort of sneak peek or preview that you can share with the listeners well what's really exciting is we're starting to become a little bit more of a lifestyle brand not only in the world of storing your stuff carrying your stuff but also in our prints and patterns and our style quotient Mm -hmm. Other people are now who are making product that sort of aligns with our look are saying, why don't we collaborate? Why don't we do something together? So we just launched Teletize, which we're really excited about that embed our pattern in their wonderful hair accessory. Um, We also launch our pattern on a company called Swig Life, which is a drink line, uh, which we did last spring, and it has done incredibly well. And we're launching the new collection in like the next week or so. Ooh. We are we are doing uh, a line of of uh, bed linens and uh, throws and things like that with another wonderful person that you know is is an expert in that field. We're going out to a lot of the experts who have mastered their world of product. Mm -hmm. And we're saying, well, how can we align our brand style and feel with what you're really good at? Because our customer who loves Scout wants that print and pattern and color and style equation to be a fuller equation. So that's really exciting. We also found because of the pandemic that a lot of people were gravitating toward our larger products, our big bags, our storage bins, because people were either leaving their apartments, maybe moving back home. They were more nomadic than they have been and they had to store things. So a lot of our larger products were getting tremendous visibility and use. And so we are 
taking that as a cue to develop more large product. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a wonderful collapsing storage assortment that is going to be really, really fun. And that's going to come out in like Q3 and four of this year. And then, you know, we always are finding new fabrics. We found this incredible poly woven fabric for beach bags. And we tried it last year, dipped our toe in the water. Stay tuned for Q2 of this year, which is kind of like the April to the June timeframe. Okay. Brand new versions of that and, and then into the fall. So, you know, there's always, we realize you have to surprise and delight constantly. Mm -hmm. As much as people want to come to you for what they know, they also want to come to you for a surprise for what they don't know. And so we hold back a little and then we kind of release it and we just get like a really fun reaction, particularly on all of the social portals we're all managing these days. Yeah. No, that's so exciting. I can't wait for the bed pieces. I love home decor and things like that. So I think that'll be really fun to see, you know, some of your pieces in that aspect. Thank you. So my final question is, where can people find you? Can you let everyone know your website address, your social media handles, anything like that so that they can follow along with you or shop? Well, we're scoutbags.com and, and we, we love getting new people to the site. We love getting returning people to the site. We also are uh, excited to say that we're in 1,500 retail accounts across the country. Um, so, you know, please, our store locator on our website will tell you where those stores are. There are too many to mention. and We're so grateful for those partnerships. We are also available on Amazon um, and Amazon carries uh, a little bit different sort of version of the line in some cases. Zulily has also carried our line consistently, and that's a very exciting portal. And then, you know, we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and, you know, it's, it's again, it's Scout Bags. And, and honestly, we would be thrilled to have any of your wonderful listeners join us in any of our journey to continue to make Scout Bags more and more potent and more fun. Frankly, you know what, when you look at the patterns, you think, why not carry a fun bag? Why not carry a, a great bag that makes me happy as well as gets me through my crazy day? Yep. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Deb, for joining me today and sharing your story. I loved hearing it and learning, and there's just so much great information that you shared. Well, I appreciate you inviting me on, and it certainly was a total delight, and I can't wait to listen to your future casts. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast, and follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media.